How's it going, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Around the Boards podcast, your home for all things hockey in Southern Nevada, presented by the UNLV Rebel Report. Joining me is my co-host. He's the beat writer for Rebel Hockey at the Scarlet and Gray Free Press. Dom, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you, Matt. Um, my name is Dominic Lavoie. As a, um, he said, I'm the beat reporter for UNLV Hockey at the Scarlet and Gray Free Press at UNLV. Um, and I'm pretty excited to get started. It's going to be awesome being able to talk about hockey every week, and um, it's going to be a fun, fun time. Awesome. So we got a pretty big show coming up today. We are going to be talking about the upcoming Rebel Hockey season. They're finally back after about a two-year layoff. Um, we're also going to be talking a little bit about the Golden Knights offseason. Um, but before we get into any of that, just want to take this quick opportunity to tell you guys who we are and what we're going to be bringing you every week. So Dom's already introduced himself. My name, obviously, is Matt. I am the president of the Rebel Report at UNLV. I am also the team insider and public address announcer for uh, Rebel Hockey. Um, which as for what you can expect for this show every week for roughly give or take a half an hour or so, I uh, will be discussing all things related to hockey here in Southern Nevada, any major storylines surrounding the Golden Knights organizations, anything going on with the Silver Knights that pertains to the Golden Knights as well. We'll also be talking, uh, some rebel hockey, like we mentioned before. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. So here we are. It's been roughly two years or so since the Skate and Rebels have been on the ice and have been playing their first game. We got about two and a half weeks or so at the time of this recording, a little bit shorter than that, um, before they dropped the puck on October 1st against the Illinois Fighting Illini. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about their season. So right off the bat, I know it's a little hard to predict how things are going to go down because of the layoff that they've had, because other teams in their conference have had layoffs as well, but we're still going to do it anyway. So how do you think the upcoming season could look like for the team? Um, like you said, it's going to be pretty hard to predict um, because the UNLV hockey program did have that two-year layoff due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but we do have a lot of new faces on the team. Um, there's a lot of new guys coming in from all sorts of leagues like the NCDC and whatnot. Um, I've looked into them. They have pretty solid stats. They look like they're going to be um, pretty good this year. And I talked to um, Coach Greener, um, Anthony Greener, a while ago, and I talked to him about how the team looked in minicamp um, because you look at the game that they had, the Scarlet and Gray scrimmage a couple weeks ago, the team looks really good. They're playing really, really fast and physical hockey, and at the end of the game, they're all smiling still. Right. So I talked to Greener about that and asked him about that, and he said that the team, there's a lot, lots of new faces, but all of those new guys know each other. They had some sort of prior connection to the team because they played with the current guys on the team or something like that. So the team really, really gelled really well during minicamp, and they really like playing with each other, and just they're really happy to be back. So this year, there's a lot of different teams doing different things, and everyone's kind of taking this year, I should say, as a measuring stick year. Everyone has new faces. It's a completely new season. It's been two years since anyone's played any um, ACHA hockey. So I would say it's going to be a measuring six season for everyone to kind of figure themselves out. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Plus, they've got a bunch of players returning from previous years that are going to come in and help keep that core stable and kind of just help guide the newcomers that have come in. Um, again, I, I, it's it's so hard to just try to say, oh, yeah, they're going to they're gonna win outright and they're going to win the championship but because it's been two years. I mean, and they're not the only team in this boat. Um, but I like you'd mentioned at minicamp, I was talking to um, to Kenny McCutton, the guy that came in and ran it from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, and he said just in the three days that he was there, he saw like massive, massive growth in the team and how they were competing with each other and everything like that. So, I mean, it should be a fun season, though. We'll um, 
we'll get more into that when the season starts coming up. All right, so moving up just a tad bit, uh, the Golden Knights hockey season is finally upon us again. The rookies have already reported, and they're going to the Rookie Showcase in Phoenix here this weekend. Uh, camp obviously begins next week on Wednesday, the September 22nd. There's clearly been a lot that has happened in the last few months since their elimination at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens in the conference finals. No bigger news than former Vezina winner Marc-Andre Fleury being traded to the Chicago Blackhawks in what was basically a pure cap dump move. So let's go ahead and start there. I want to hear from you first. Uh, what was your kind of reaction to the trade? Yeah, I mean, I think the trade came out of nowhere in a few aspects simply because there were those rumors swirling around that Vegas was going to trade Flurry for that cap dump um, because the team was right up against the cap for the entire season last season. And it was very difficult trying to manage which player was going to go because the team had Alec Martinez becoming a free agent, Tomasz Noshek becoming a free agent, and all, all sorts of players that were pretty um, integral to the team's core be, um, becoming a free agent this offseason. So I appreciate the cap dump move, um, and I'm not really surprised that we did trade Flurry simply because he did have that $7.5 million contract, and that was a huge chunk taking up um, our cap space when we could move them to get other players. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. Um, at least in my eyes, the way you look at kind of the trade, if you look at it pure numbers based or anything like that, 7 million out, zero brought back in, it makes sense. It also doesn't make sense to trade the 29-year-old guy over the 36-year-old guy. I think people forget how good of a goaltender Robin Leonard is, and he's more than capable of carrying the load that Flurry was doing. Now... Where I come into issue with the trade is not that they did it, it's how they went about doing it. I remember when the trade was announced and you started checking Twitter and you see Jesse Granger report that Flurry finds out over Twitter. All right, to me that's completely, completely unacceptable. And then you hear in his press conference Kelly McCrimmon talking about how, oh, we just, we just don't want to tell the players or anything about the trade call going through because if it falls through then it's undue stress on them. And I get that. I totally get that. This is the guy who's the face of your franchise. He carried you to a Stanley Cup the first year. He won the freaking Vesna last year. At a certain point, you got to give the guy a little bit higher standing in the organization than just some low-level player. How hard is it for somebody within, within the team, not even McPhee or McCrimmon, just to pick up the dang phone, give the guy a call and just say, hey, Flurry, listen, we've got this trade call going through with the Blackhawks right now. It's probably going to go through. Um, if it doesn't, then we'll, we're going to probably have to figure something else out. But if it does, we want to thank you for everything you've done for this organization. Unfortunately, on our end, we couldn't make the numbers work, and we wish you the best going forward. How hard was that? Not hard at all. Exactly. And, I mean, that's the thing that's rubbed fans the wrong way, I really think, with it, other than the fact that, obviously, he's a beloved player here. But, I mean, this isn't the first time they've done this either. Like, they did it with Nate Schmidt. They did it with Vadim Shipachev. They've done it. They did it with Dave Pryor, the former goaltender coach. Um, and they've done it with other people within the organization that aren't just players. So they're starting to develop this this lack of loyalty within their organization that I think is going to come back to bite them eventually. But we're going to move on a little bit now. I'm not going to spend four hours talking about that like I could. That's obviously not the only move they made. They also traded Cody Glass and Ryan Reeves out. They also bring in Evgeny Dadnoff from the Ottawa Senators, Brett Howden from the New York Rangers, and Nolan Patrick from the Philadelphia Flyers. Me personally, I think these moves were necessary because they really needed to improve their bottom six. Their bottom six has been utterly horrible for the last two seasons, 
probably going back even further than that. And I think some of these additions can end up helping. If we can, if, if they can get Evgeny Dadnov from the Florida Panthers, the guy that put up all those, all those points and all those goals, then I think that it's going to look great. Um, if we get Evgeny Dadnov from Ottawa, well, that $5 million contract might hurt for the next couple of years. As for Ryan Reeves, I know everybody was disappointed when he left. Me personally, though, it's a move that needed to be done. Um, as as much as he's loved in this town and as much as he's loved by fans, at the end of the day, he just wasn't good enough anymore. He was an utter liability defensively. He didn't he didn't produce much offensively, and the only thing he really did, two other guys on the team do. And you don't need a guy like that when you have two younger players that offer other skills like William Carrier and Keegan Colasar. But now I kind of want to hear from you a little bit. Let's what do you, what was your reaction to all the offseason stuff? Um, I definitely shame that, uh, share that sentiment that um, you said that those moves were necessary um, to kind of jump off from Ryan Reeves. I definitely think that Ryan Reeves was a necessary move to get him out of here simply because, like you said, he is a bottom six player who only really offers physicality in a speed game. And the game has changed so much since 2011. If we were talking 2011, then I would kind of call that move questionable to get rid of Ryan Reeves because that was in that weird phase of the NHL where it was still a bit physical. You still had teams like the Boston Bruins and the LA Kings playing that big physical brand of hockey and winning. But then you had those teams like, I guess you could say maybe the Chicago Blackhawks playing a faster brand of hockey. The Montreal Canadiens gave the Bruins trouble in the early 2010s playing their fast brand of hockey. So if it was 2011, sure, that's a questionable move. But Ryan Reeves doesn't really offer much of anything but physicality. And when you do have those younger guys like Keegan Colzar and William Carrier and even maybe Patrick Brown, if you want to go to the Tomasz Noshek route, Patrick Brown is a poor man's Noshek that does the same thing as Noshek. So it was good to let Noshek go. It was good to trade Reeves away. And I think we got pretty good value for Reeves. We got the um, third round pick. Third round pick. And I think that's a pretty, pretty solid value. Um, keeping the trend with the New York Rangers, getting Brett Howden. He's going to be a pretty solid maybe bottom six player maybe top six player in the ahl yeah um yeah he'll be he'll be kind of a rotational player at least from what i what i think and howden had about seven points i think last season with the rangers so definitely going to be a pretty solid ahl guy in terms of the cody glass trade i feel like that was the most equal trade that we put out all offseason couldn't agree more um you both have struggling centers from the 2017 draft class, both have dealt with injuries. Both aren't producing as well as they should be. Um, both were highly touted as top six centers. Nolan Patrick was touted as a top six center, the consensus top pick in 2017. Um, Patrick was said that he was going to have um, some pretty solid potential, but not elite potential. And then you look at Cody Glass, who's taken at seventh, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Sixth, I believe. Um, and way. he had that elite top line center potential mm -hmm. and neither of them have realized that in the four years that they've been in the nhl obviously cody glass didn't get his start immediately he was uh sent back to the portland winterhawks and the whl for a couple years but even when he came to the nhl he showed those moments of that elite center that he was touted to be but right. it wasn't as consistent enough and i feel for him um jesse granger did talk to him after the trade went down and he said that he felt like the team gave up on him and that does suck but eventually you have to move on from somebody and we have another struggling center coming in and nolan patrick he's looking for a career revival but an unfortunate thing about patrick he's coming into training camp unsigned 
Um, so that's a huge question mark coming in right now, touching on the salary cap, because the only reason why the Golden Knights are um, cap compliant in general is because Alex Tuck is shelved on long-term injury reserve. So it's a lot of moves um, coming in when it comes to the cap and everything. Um, if we're going to jump to another um, off-season move that they made, other than Dadanov signing Laurent Bressois. Right. Um, he's going to be a pretty solid num- uh, number two option. Um, it's unfortunate to see Flurry go and get rid of that one-two punch that we had last season. But um, Bressois would be a pretty good um, backup, and I feel like he could be a bit of a spot warmer for Logan Thompson. Um, Logan Thompson has been a really solid goaltender last season in the AHL. He won goaltender of the year. Um, the Golden Knights were the first organization since the Washington Capitals in 2003, I believe, to have both of their goaltenders in their um, NHL and AHL systems win goaltender of the year honors in their respective league. So that was a pretty pretty big news that came out. Um, but Logan Thompson, this is going to be his measuring stick year as well because you look at the AHL, he only played – Pacific Division teams all year. He didn't play any other team in the American Hockey League. So now he's going to have his first full season in the AHL. So now the Golden Knights are going to see what Logan Thompson can actually do. Um, and then going to Dadanov, like you said as well, if we got the Florida Panthers of getting Dadanov, I'd be much happier with this trade. But we got the Ottawa Senators of getting Dadanov, right. who is a poor man's Riley Smith making Riley Smith money. That's how I look at it. Because if you look at Dadanov's stats from last season and Riley Smith's stats, they produce similar amounts of goals and assists, but Dadanov does it at a smaller scale as Riley Smith. And they're making the same amount of money. And that was probably one of the more questionable moves that came shortly after the flurry trade was get rid of $7 million in cap room and then trade for a guy making Riley Smith money that isn't producing Riley Smith points. Right. So, want to go real quick back to the uh, back to the Lorenzo Brusquad deal. So now they they go from twelve million dollars in goaltending to I believe seven and a half something like that. I um, think it's exactly seven somewhere in somewhere in that area because I know Robin Leonard makes five and it, yeah I think you're right I think they signed him for two. Um, but I, I mean at least in, at least in my eyes I don't see why they don't give Logan Thompson a chance. I mean, like you like you mentioned, he tore it up in the AHL last year. I get that it was against the Pacific Division and everything, but you could have saved an extra two million million and a half dollars just by having Logan Thompson as your backup at the start of the season. And I mean, who knows? Maybe he ends up beating Brossois out for that backup job in training camp, and then you wasted that two million dollars on somebody else that you could have used to put somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. To me, it just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You already mentioned your thoughts on it, and I understand where you're coming from too. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about and we can kind of discuss this too in the end of free agency press conference that Kelly McCrimmon hosted. He mentioned something along the lines of the fact that he doesn't think the team needs any more center depth. I could not disagree with that comment more. (laughs) Yes. Their top six centers are good. Okay. Chandler Stevenson has played well between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. William Carlson, at least in my eyes is the only true top six center they have on the team. As good as Chandler Stevenson has been, if you take one of those two guys out, his effectiveness goes down dramatically. And if you have the ability to upgrade that top-line center position, why not do it? I know they were asking, Buffalo was asking for a haul for Jack Eichel. But at the end of the day, if you could have made it work, why not go down that route? With the whole Jack Eichel debacle in Buffalo, he's making $10 million a year. Yes, he's that top-line elite center. 
Um, but he's about to undergo a neck surgery that could take him out for a whole year. That could be career altering or even I'm seeing on Twitter, it could be career ending. So it's a bit of a gamble to give up Peyton Krebs, Nick Haig. Um, I think the package included a first round pick, Riley Smith, and another top six guy. That's a steep ask for, yes, an elite center, but we don't know what center the Golden Knights would be getting. We would the Golden Knights be getting that old Jack Eichel that can be that can score at will, that can put up points, that would be that elite centerman, or would the Golden Knights be getting a new and improved Eichel or a new and worsened Eichel due to that neck surgery that he's undergoing? So I think it's good that the Golden Knights didn't pull the trigger on that trade. It would have been a steep ask anyways because I really like Peyton Krebs. Peyton Krebs, he's been training a lot all offseason um, with Max Pacioretty, and Max Pacioretty arguably has the best shot on the entire Golden Knights roster. I don't even think it's close, but continue. And Krebs talked to Jesse Granger the other day, and Krebs said that his only NHL shot on goal in like the game and a half that he played with the Golden Knights was off of his face, and yeah. that took him out for the rest of the season with a broken jaw. So he's hungry, and he's been at the rink every single day with Max Pacioretty working on his craft, working on his shot, and working on his game. And he's looking to really make an impact. So I think if the Golden Knights pulled the trigger on that trade and just traded away another top prospect like we um, the Golden Knights have done in the past, yeah, it would have kind of backfired. Nick especially, <laughs> it would have backfired especially if we didn't get that elite Jack Eichel that everybody knows. Right. Real quick, just because I, I I gotta say it, can you imagine if this team had Nick Suzuki right now? We wouldn't be having this conversation about no. trying to find another top. That that I get why they made the trade. The tra- I don't think either team lost the trade because Max Pacioretty's been great for the Golden Knights. Yeah, and Montreal made a deep playoff run with Nick Suzuki last season. Exactly. Too, so. But imagine if that was Cody Glass instead. I'm just saying. I, I don't remember if uh, Bergevin was asking for one or the other or if he asked for Suzuki specifically. But, I mean, if they were able to convince him, that would have been great. Anyway. Moving on now, so with all of these new acquisitions, at least to me, I don't know how you feel about this, but this kind of feels like a Hail Mary from Kelly McCrimmon. Um, it feels like he knows he's running out of time to deliver a championship for Bill Foley, and he's doing everything in his power to improve the team. My biggest question that I have with all of these moves that they've made, not just not just this season, but the seasons prior, um, have they done too much? Have they kicked the cage too much? At a certain point, you have to wonder, like I was talking about earlier, if this lack of loyalty that's being displayed by the front office is going to come back and bite them. And to be completely honest with you, if there's a season that I feel like you could start to see the wheels kind of fall off the wagon a little bit, it'd be this one. Um, the, the major locker room changes could end up having a major shakeup and could kind of cause some kind of rifts. I don't know if that's the correct word there. Um, again, but I go back to this. At the end of the day, I mean, they're in the Pacific. The Pacific's garbage this year. At least on paper it is. So, again, they should be fine, but I don't know. What, what do you feel about that? Um, I definitely think that the Golden Knights have kind of over-tinkered the team. Um, you look back to the original expansion draft roster, and there's about maybe four or five guys now on the current roster from that expansion draft. Uh, I think it's um, Jonathan Marcheseau, Alex Tuck, William Carlson, Braden McNabb, and maybe... Shea Theodore and William Carrier so it's like roughly six or seven guys um and I watched the um 
Steve Dangle podcast a while ago, like right when the Golden Knights got eliminated, and they talked about the same thing. They definitely over-tinkered a little bit with the roster. They kind of made way too many moves. They traded too many players away. They released too many players. They let players walk. They signed random players. Um, you see, even with um, the whole Paul Stasny saga, the Golden Knights signed Paul Stasny. He does pretty solid for a couple years, and then we just let him go for no reason. Um, I get Stasny wasn't you know, producing as much, but when you don't have an identity with a team, that causes a lot of struggles and it looks like when you see the Golden Knights play over the last five seasons there's a lack of consistency when it comes to the team identity you have in year one super fast pace roll all four lines north-south hockey and then the next year it's kind of scaled back and it's a bit more physical because you know you have Ryan Reeves coming in you have the rivalry with the San Jose Sharks really kicking off and then Vegas gets eliminated in the first round albeit from a really messy game seven, but the principle is still there. Vegas got eliminated. Right. Then you go to year three. Um, year three was the bubble year. So scoring completely disappeared in the bubble. You have that first round. That was pretty okay. And then you go against Vancouver. You blow a three to one series lead to Vancouver and you make Thatcher Demko look like an elite goaltender making like 115 saves in two games and having like over two games of shutout time. And scoring disappeared, and we narrowly escaped in Game 7. And then you go to the conference finals against Dallas and absolutely get smacked around because the scoring wasn't there. Um, And then last season... Same thing happened. Exact same thing. Top six completely disappeared. Mark Stone in the um, in the Stanley Cup semifinals last season, zero points in six games. That's inexcusable. Yeah, let's jump off of that. It is inexcusable. You know, you're guys, the made, guys the making – yeah, he's a captain. He's making $9.5 million a year. You need more than zero points in six games out of him. And you can't say he was injured because Alec Martinez is playing all three rounds on a shattered foot. Exactly. He still led the league – or he still led the playoffs in block shots. Through the entire – the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, through the cup he, finals too. He still played amazing yeah. on a shattered foot. So it was just super, super upsetting to see the scoring disappear and the top six disappear and especially the captain disappear. Exactly. And because you look at how well Montreal played with Cole Caulfield – with Tyler Toffoli, with Nick Suzuki. You see everybody gelling so well and playing so well. Carey Price was playing out of his mind. And then Vegas is just kind of rolling over and dying for the entire series. So it was frustrating. And when you look back, it's frustrating to see a lack of identity. And you see McPhee um, shafting Gerard Gallant for Peter DeBoer. DeBoer comes in, tinkers a little bit, but he keeps that power play that Vegas has been running since year one. It's that drop pass to the defenseman or the forward or whoever. Got four players um, coming up at the red line, and then the trailing player with the puck just skates through the entire neutral zone and keeps it. Yep. Teams have figured out that power play maybe three years ago. It doesn't work anymore. No, it's it was. Imagine if they could have gotten like two or three power play goals in that series against Montreal. We would have been having a completely different discussion. Exactly. Just a few goals short. In so many different seasons, and that's where I go. I go back to talking about that that playoff series. Um, even before that, everybody was touting Vegas as like outplaying Colorado. When you kind of look at it, I don't necessarily agree with that. I I honestly think it's more that Colorado didn't make adjustments and just flat out choked. Because when 
If that team outplayed Colorado like that, there's no way they should have lost to Montreal in the way they did. But the bl- the blueprint is out there on how to beat the Golden Knights in the playoffs because Dallas did the same thing the year prior. It's You don't let them get inside the hash marks. You make them shoot from the point. You wait for them to make a mistake. That's exactly what they did, and that's how Montreal beat them. That's how Dallas beat them. You know, looking at that whole blueprint, it makes a lot of sense because if we can't get the forwards inside the hash marks, inside the slot, the prime scoring real estate, then the Golden Knights start panicking. You have guys like Shea Theodore trying to do too much. Shea Theodore is a great defenseman. He has an amazing scoring touch. But as soon as he starts doing too much, he becomes awful. You see in the um, the playoffs last season, Alex Petrangelo. He started doing way too much with the puck. You would see Alex Petrangelo in the corner more often than you would see him at the point because Petrangelo would insert himself into the play all the time because the forwards couldn't score. Right. So it's just kind of a huge scoring deficiency that the Golden Knights have. For some reason, when they make a deep playoff run, scoring just kind of becomes scarce for whatever reason. And could a top-line centerman fix that? Who knows? Because it could be a team culture thing where the team is mentally weak. After that first season, they were riding off of the one October shooting and they were just riding off of being the new the new kids on the block, um, the misfits, and they're like, you know, we're casted away from our old teams. We're going to show them. Make the cup final, albeit losing five. But then you have to take that into the next seasons and keep that up. Yep. And McPhee threw contracts at everybody after the first season. They threw a four-year extension at March. So I think a six-year extension to Brady McNabb. They just threw all kinds of money at all these players because they had one good year. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with William Carlson. 43 goals in his first season. I don't think he's touched 30 goals since. No. But, you know, I'll go back to this on him because I've had numerous debates with people about this. I think anybody that thought William Carlson was going to score 40 goals again, absolutely crazy. If you looked at his shooting percentage that year, there's no way that's going to keep up. I think as long as you can get 20 to 25 goals out of him, maybe somewhere around 60 to 70 points a year, I think that contract for him is worth it. We're going to kind of circle it back here to all of these offseason deals that we were talking about. Now, there is a chance that none of these deals work and they end up falling flat. So, I mean, at least to me, it feels like if the Golden Knights don't win the Cup this season, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to lose their job, but there's going to be a case for either McPhee or McCrimmon to be out. And I know people are going to hear that and go, well, they've been to the conference finals the last two years. They were in the cup finals three years ago. Yes. Okay. That's true. And I know a lot of teams would kill for that kind of success. But when you look at Bill Foley, he wanted a cup in six years. We're in year five. Okay. If he doesn't get that cup in six years, who knows what's going to happen. But again, like I said, I personally think they're on the hot seat right now. I think there's a good chance they one or, one or both of them could be out of a job by the end of the year. What are your thoughts? Oh, I definitely agree with you with that. Um, I've talked to numerous people about the same subject, and they share that same sentiment because you look at all the moves that were made, all the tinkering that was done. McCrimmon and McPhee, they're trying to build a cup-contending team, and Vegas has that but they just go flat for whatever reason. And with all these moves seemingly made out of desperation in this offseason and maybe the past year and a half, you got to really look at McCrimmon and McPhee because we are kind of inching towards that cup and six mark. And this core isn't getting any younger. A lot of Vegas's 
better players are in their late 20s, early 30s on huge deals. And they're not going to be skyrocketing in skill anytime soon. Right. So when you really look at that, if there's no Stanley Cup in Las Vegas and maybe even this season, like you said, I feel like heads are going to roll because Bill Foley was very upset at how the flurry trade went down. Bill yeah. Foley was at his ranch in Montana and he promised flurry that he would retire a golden night. And then McCrimmon just does that. That's kind of, that's kind of my other thing with it too, is you don't, you don't make the boss look like a liar and keep your job. Mm-hmm. So maybe McPhee stays around a year after this and McCrimmon goes, or maybe they both go, who knows? Um, hopefully we're not in that position when we're back here talking about this in June. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. It's a long season. Anything can happen. So that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, Join us next week when we're going to be taking a closer look at the prospect pool for the Golden Knights, as well as looking more into the upcoming foe for Rebel Hockey this season. Uh, That and much more. Once again, I'm Matt Atencio. I'm Dominic Lavoie. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you on the next one.